Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Uh, my name is Chris, and you're listening to the Buckle Up Podcast. Um, so if you listen to the uh, pre-course episode, um, kind of uh, goes over what you can, uh, I guess, expect when you decide to, you know, start a journey or project or just make a big decision that will kind of change your life. And we were talking about what to expect or, you know, how to not expect anything and be okay with that. Um, so if you're interested kind of in the uh, mindset type of environment, I guess, for um, making a big decision like this, go ahead and listen back to that. But we're going to start this one off with uh, basically where where do I start? Where do you start? Um, and as I explained in the pre-course, so just real quick for those who maybe haven't heard it or are not going to go back and listen to it, um, I'm starting a second product, I guess, towards this uh, bigger uh, and system I'm trying to build. And so um, when I use the my example for where do I start, um, know that uh, I'm starting a new product from scratch but it's a part of a continuous company that I'm building so um, I'm also starting at a new place today Um, so I'm going to go over you know how I plan to set things up uh, stuff like that but um, like I said if you missed the first episode um, that just goes over the mindset but we're actually going to go over how to actually start or how I think you should start Um, and so one thing that I think is important to think about before you start or even plan any project is uh, to consider how much it's going to cost. Um, whether it's a lifestyle change or starting a business or you know you want to build something, uh, whatever it is, there's a cost to that. Um, and so basically, how are you going to pay for you know the work? that needs to get done in order to complete whatever this project is that you're working on. And then on top of that, once it's built, how is it going to sustain itself? Where's the money going to come from? How are you going to, what's your revenue stream? Um, And the reason that's important to think about before you even start is because uh, one of the things we talk about in the pre-course is just expect the unexpected for anything you do because you really cannot control, um, the outcome in the sense of, uh, you know, how much you think you can, or you really cannot consider every option. And so what happens if whatever you're trying to plan out right now only has one stream of revenue? What happens if that revenue stream dries up? Is there a, a second stream of revenue that does not rely on the first that can be implemented later on can the initial stream of revenue can you adapt that to overcome whatever the challenge will be Um, or another consideration is even if you don't have a hurdle to overcome uh, if you happen to have that blessing um, will your revenue stream evolve over time naturally or can you evolve it over time to keep your uh, product service or you know, whatever it is you're doing, I, I, I use business challenge because uh, that's the example that I'm using on myself. Um, so some of these terms might not apply to you. Uh, just know that. But 
you know, how can that stream of revenue adapt in the sense of keeping your customers engaged for, you know, an extended period of time without changing the core service you're offering or, you know, getting rid of any value from your product. Um, and in, in the pre-course, I talk about uh, how I had to adapt one of my streams of revenue for my previous product, a uh, mobile app, where I wanted to have free courses to teach um, people about blockchain and stuff like that. And um, due to some of the restrictions that I had when publishing my own ads to gain an audience, um, I had to resort to uh, charging for some of those courses just to adapt my stream of revenue because my original stream of revenue was to uh, monetize using mobile ads and um, basically the entire app would be either free to an extent or whatever but the main point would be not to make money off of these courses um, that's just part of the experience and the value that is added to using this application to learn about blockchain and stuff like that. But because of the issues that I had with, you know, putting my own advertisements out, I had to um, adapt to, you know, again, the, the model of charging for courses. And so, you know, that answered my question of, can your revenue stream adapt? Well, yes, it can. Can I have multiple streams of revenue? Well, yes, I can, but that's going to take away from the main value that I want to provide. So that's why I tried adapting the mainstream of revenue versus going off of the multiple streams. And so can you provide content for months on end in the sense of adapting your, your, your product and your stream of revenue without changing the core service that you're offering. And that happened a little bit when I changed to these, um, paid courses but not as much as I thought so that's why I decided to move forward with that but um, you know it did answer the question of can it adapt so yes it could adapt but was I willing to be open to a different form of making money and keeping the business afloat than the original model um, originally I didn't want to be, but I was in this because I, I had to think of a way to keep this afloat so I could work on piece number or product number two for this, uh, you know, puzzle. And so that's why I personally decided to, uh, personally decided to go towards the paid, uh, course route, but that's something you have to consider for whatever it is you're going to work on is, are you open and willing to change whatever you know the model you're working on is um and so and again i don't have an answer for you um you don't have to have an answer but these are just questions you should be thinking about and considering before you start anything um so you're always prepared it's always better to be you know overthink and i guess be over prepared than the opposite um so that kind of talks about you know the the where the money coming in is the revenue is coming from um but like i said cost towards building the product can be a, a multitude of things um for me it's software and so for when you think about that there's uh there's design in the sense of uh your logos or your theme or whatever direction you want your your user design or experience to go um 
whatever kind of interface you're trying to build, that's a cost. Um, a lot of those things I can kind of guide myself, but in the sense of building something professional to uh, release in production, that is a cost for me because I have to find a professional graphic designer to take my crappy draft concept and make it into something pretty and beautiful. Um, and another cost for the software is actually the upkeep of the software, my overhead. The overhead is, you know, you have your database, you have your services, you have your, uh, you have to host if you're a mobile app. I mean, you don't really have to worry about that, but if you're not a mobile app, which the second product isn't, it's going to be a web application on a, a URL that you can go to. So that has, uh, you know, a hosting fee that I'm going to have to have as an overhead. Um, see, when you build a, a mobile app, a lot of things are taken care of for you, which is uh, not not for you, but they're streamlined in the sense of you have a route that you can go down to make a lot of these difficult um, configurations that you have to do for the app stores um, just to get approved. It streamlines that process. Now, that is a lot harder to find um, when you're doing general application development for the web like an example would be uh didn't expect i need an example because i wasn't but anyway uh if if you can think of a website that's not a mobile app that is um uh, a service i guess uh then that you could think of they still have to do the same or follow the same set of guidelines that these mobile apps do but it's more of a wild west territory because there's no app stores that give you the set of guidelines to follow. So you really have to be on top of every part of your overhead because every little service is taking over a responsibility that may or may not be streamlined in the sense of launching an app on the app stores. But by making sure that you're following those guidelines for the web, you have to pay either a service or something or whatever, you know, and that adds to your cost. And so that's what I mean by database hosting. And there's uh, security SSL certificates to make sure that, you know, uh, traffic coming to your website is uh, authentic, stuff like that. And again, a lot of that stuff is sometimes taken care of for you, uh, or it has to be taken care of before you even launch on the app store. You know, when you do the web, you can launch anything kind of right away. So also, if you're trying to build a software project and you don't know how to code, that's probably one of your biggest costs is the engineer because you're paying someone at an hourly rate to essentially build out whatever it is you plan. And that's my benefit is, you know, that I'm a full stack JavaScript engineer and most of my products are in JavaScript, but in, that adds to my cost when I have to uh, outsource some of my work. Um, but that's my benefit, which is allowing me to eat a lot of the cost for these uh, projects that I'm trying out. Because if you think of 80% of the cost going to the engineer, well, that's not only am I the one building it, so I don't have to come up with that. <clears throat> so I don't have to come up with that uh, funding. 
it's just me maintaining my bills. So it's it's a little easier for me to do a software startup because I know how to code. But if you don't, that's something definitely to consider is the cost of an engineer to build it. And you also want a quality engineer. I, before I knew how to code, I used an international team and their, their worth ethic was incredible um, and they knew what they were doing. It's just the time difference and the communication uh, barrier caused a lot more problems than you would think. And so that ends up eating at your cost. And so considering paying a little extra for uh, development that isn't, you know, trying to cut costs in, in ways that will help make a better product um, those are things to definitely consider. Um, and also it, it even gets down to the little, little detailed level for me when I select a database for uh, my second project, you know, there's two types of database. There's a relational and a non-relational. I'm not going to get into the technical details of that just yet because that's uh, probably going to bore the majority of you. But if you think about, you know, being able to relate to already posted data saves money if you pay for the amount of times you are trying to access that data. But if I can't have relational data, each time I want to check on something, I have to get that full um, li uh, list of detail on that item. Even if I'm looking it up three or four times, I can't, it's harder to, save in the database itself a copy of that specific profile or piece of data or whatever to be referenced elsewhere and again that we're starting to get technical but my point with that is is you could think of one database costing me you know a couple hundred dollars a month versus one costing me a couple thousand dollars a month and you're probably sitting there thinking okay well why wouldn't you just use the cheaper one every time well, that's when you have to think about user experience. So by using only the cheap database, I'm giving up things like speed. I'm giving up things like reliability. I'm giving up things like uh, my database being available in multiple regions around the globe in uh, copying. Again, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to explain this without being too technical, but having um, copies of the database that are, are, uh, they're the same data wise, meaning if one database changes in the Western hemisphere, the Eastern hemisphere database will also update and note that change. Now, the perk to that specific thing is someone who is across the world from another user, they don't notice how far away they are from the database because that would be, you know, how many milliseconds or whatever uh, it takes to hit that database. So by adding the cost, you know, I'm, I'm able to use a database that doesn't necessarily need, you know, all of this setup just to be able to mimic reliability, basically. So there's a perk to overhead because you, I mean, we're thinking of the longevity of this project here. It's not about, you know, in a month from now, how do I, how do I make this cheaper. This isn't, you know, a freelance job or something. This is a company that I own and am maintaining. And so this has to be not only sustainable for building the product, but also in the sense of 
releasing the product and maintaining the product and being able to work on the product while, you know, being able to cover whatever that costs to develop it. Um, so that's a little bit about cost. Uh, and I think that's important to think about because if, again, if you're going to start a project, you really, really want to know how much it's going to cost, what the possible ways that it could not work or what you think could work in the sense of how you're going to make money, how that, how those streams of revenue can go wrong. And then, you know, nobody likes to think of the totally just rock bottom possibility, but what happens if your original idea for revenue doesn't work at all or stops or you hit a roadblock that doesn't even let you execute it? Can you come up with a new one, a new stream of revenue? And if not, that's, I mean, that kind of adds to your risk alone. Are you willing to take the chance that you might not make any money at all because there's no option for any other stream of revenue and you are going into this with the mindset knowing I don't know what the possible outcomes are. So aside from cost, um, again, just this is even just where do I start? And I know this is a lot of questions and there's a lot of things to think about, but that's the point is you want to overthink this stuff before you start any project because expecting the unexpected sounds easier than it is. But cost is important too because one of the things you should consider before you start a project is how long do you estimate it's going to take. And when you think of cost, you always want to have or consider if you don't even have backup finances for if, okay, let's say your revenue stream doesn't work. How are you going to, and you are able to think of a new stream of revenue you have to have time to implement that stream of revenue. You also have to have time to, you know, fund the next month of whatever you weren't doing to be able to implement that stream of revenue. So not only do you need to have emergency finances planned out or uh, hopefully a solution to what happens if I don't have my finances planned out, but that's why it's important to think of a time goal or a time estimate and, you know, in the pre-course, we're talking about the list and how you don't want to judge yourself off the list because it will it could potentially demotivate you. And that's why in September, I didn't judge myself off the list because my list was super long and I was dealing with other roadblocks. I was incredibly productive, but just not towards that specific list because I didn't, you know, expect the unexpected. And so if you set up a time goal that allows you to write that list that I was talking about, and I know that's sort of confusing since if you did listen to the pre-horse, I explained how you should never compare yourself to that list. But I think it's important to at least have that list because it gives you milestones and it gives you written motivational, um, you know, just points that you can check on where you are in the terms of developing your idea or in terms of just the progress of your journey. Um, because as I mentioned before, you might not have checked off anything on your list, but you were still working towards your goal, whatever that was. So set your milestones and set those based off of whatever your estimated time goal is. And then, like I said, that really will help 
prepare your questions of, are you prepared to go over budget? Or are you prepared if your mainstream or revenue cuts off? Does your future, you know, this is the future of your project, even if this main main idea or stream of revenue works, does your project adapt over time? Does it, does it um, evolve the user experience while still providing value? These are these are all things you have to think about because, again, like I said, it's 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 hard to not base yourself on achievements. But the only way to really keep yourself accountable is to have achievements in mind. And again, it, this podcast is scheduled for two episodes a week. So hopefully over time you'll realize that. But the idea is you will have to realize that because by following my advice, what, and my advice isn't to you know do things in a certain way. It's just to actually do them and to start and take your first step, that's going to force you to fail, which is going to force you to get better at understanding that it's okay to not judge yourself off the list, but to have the list. So everything I'm, gonna, I'm saying now will make sense as you try your journey and fail because everything I'm saying is from me failing multiple times. And that's why it's important just for you to start. But again, this episode is, you know, the pre-course is setting the stage for your mindset coming into this podcast, but it's, this episode is, okay, well, where do you start as a listener? Well, again, start with your list, but the point of this is to, to make you think about how many more questions there are that you should be asking while you're making the list or before you even start your list, because there's way more to think about than these articles or books tell you when they say how to start a business. And I think by following me on my journey, whether or not it works, and actually you know, listening and witnessing me implement my own advice will hopefully help you um, kind of realize that what I'm saying can benefit a lot of people, I, I believe. Um, and so that's how I want you to set up your stage is with your list. But again, I want you to, to make the list with all of these questions in mind because I want you to be more prepared for the worst outcome than you thought you should be. And like I said, I, I think it'll show because I'm doing that with my project, um, I think it'll show uh, that it works through my example, but also just from you failing, I think naturally you will see um, that it, it is just an incredible mindset to have. So that's how I want you to set your stage, is set your milestones, set your, your, your timeline, uh, estimate your costs, stuff like that, but just keep all those questions in mind and a keep asking yourself those questions. Um, again, how much is this going to cost? Uh, how much can I do? How much, how much time do I think this is going to take? Wh how am I going to make money with this idea or project or lifestyle? And again, I'm just using money because my happens to be business, but 
am I prepared to go over budget? Am I prepared to, to if I set a six-month timeline or a one-month timeline, am I prepared to think I have nothing done, even though I haven't done anything towards my list, but I've done other things? Am I prepared for that mainstream of revenue to either be cut off, to not work, or to not have an opportunity to even try it? Does your future product or project or whatever you're doing, does it adapt over time? These are just all things that you need. I want you to think about when you're setting your stage because, again, I think these are all questions that are sort of left out in these business books or, or advice or talks or whatever. Um, but through my example, hopefully you'll see that it's not something that goes away whether or not people talk about it. Um, because there's a lot of things to think about when starting a business or taking a, a chance on something or, or all this stuff, but you know you don't see a lot of it. And so that's why I'm using myself as an example is to show you how many little things there are that go into making an idea happen. So that's the first half of this episode um basically next uh next time we're going to talk about uh how to like how to take your your list and start being accountable for it and take that first step so we're going to take action next time um but the second half of this podcast is going to be more of a technical talk on analyzing uh the technologies and uh, overhead costs, stuff like that for this second project, uh, I'm building. So if you're interested in that or anything technical, uh, stick around. And, uh, if not, like I said, I will see you next time. And in the next three or four episodes, we will be having a, uh, guest who's in the professional, uh, marketplace and, or the professional job world, but uh, we currently are not worthy for her advice yet. So, um, like I said, in the next three or four shows, we will have our first special guest um, and get some advice as a community at large, which will be pretty sweet. Um, But other than that, if you're not going to stick around for the technical half, uh, thank you for listening, and um, have a great weekend. here then I imagine I haven't bored you yet okay so this is the technical half now the reason I say it's technical is because I'm using my business as an example in the sense of developing something and to build my list or my set of milestones and timeline uh, I have to think of some specific um, pretty much it's called stack and again i'm i'm going to be using uh there's going to be a lot of technical talks uh, in this podcast and i'm going to separate them from the main show but it's going to be assumed that a lot of these terms don't need to be explained so i'm going to try and keep 
the explanation on a low, but I'm going to be using just terms, I guess. Uh, so I apologize if, if I go overboard on the technical um, topics. But like I said, so mine's software related. So I'm going off of cost first. So my stream of revenue, um, I'm not necessarily going to talk about it now, but it is a somewhat of a, a subscription-based model. So the cost for a software along those lines are, you know, I mentioned database, I mentioned hosting costs, stuff like that, but because you're involving payments, um, a big cost is actually uh, payment processing. And so when you're doing, when you're dealing with payment processing for software, not only do you want to select a payment processor that get, has good protection in the sense of either chargebacks or uh, just generalized tracking of your customer base or, you know, uh, giving you valuable metrics towards transaction data, stuff like that, but also is the amount it costs to physically process that transaction. So a couple of providers, you know, they have that. There's, I, I want to say the standard flat fee in the industry is like two to three percent per transaction, and, and that was like a couple of years ago when I was a pretty big on that knowledge, and so it may have even gone up by now. Um, and I know some credit card companies have higher fees than others, and I wouldn't actually be surprised um, if these processing companies just made a higher standardized fee just to cover all bases. But that's something I have to consider is which payment processor I'm using. Uh, in the technical aspect, I have to, because I'm the one coding this stuff, is that library or is does that payment processor that I choose have a library that is compatible with JavaScript and a node environment um, in the sense of, I can be the one to implement it and not have to outsource that. So that's definitely important for me because I am the engineer behind this. So that cost is also not something that I pay ahead of time. So when it comes down to the percentages, that's not necessarily the biggest worry because over time I can negotiate that. It's more so the compatibility. Um, and then also because you're dealing with transactions that's uh that can get pretty data heavy and you also don't want to erase any of that data and you don't necessarily want it to be conjoined with a ton of other non-transactional data and get mixed up and then become irrelevant or just corrupt or something so basically you want to have a good database in the sense of when I was speaking in the first half of reliability because where wherever you are you always want to make sure that it's kind of like blockchain wherever you are you always want to make sure you have the the most up-to-date you know version of, of the transaction ledger I guess you could say so reliability is a big one um, and so that kind of weaves out, uh, in my opinion, the relational database. Um, now, this isn't 
a sponsorship or anything, but in, for my own preference for the uh, cloud services, I do tend to lean towards Amazon Web Services because it's pretty much any any service you could ever need or think of, they most likely have it, and it's usually in one place. It's on their AWS dashboard. Um, and a lot of their payment structures are pay-as-you-go, and they charge you for input, output, throughput, uh, stuff like that, um, or capacity, uh, and they'll even auto scale for you in a lot of these, uh, services. But again, they, they, they charge only for what you use. And I think that's a huge benefit to, um, people, people starting out because, sometimes when you hit these roadblocks, you might not need a database that's, you know, X or Y, the size of X or Y, I mean. Um, and so you would be paying for a huge database when you're working on marketing or something. And so one of the benefits to AWS is you can build your database first and because it's auto-scalable in most of the services, don't quote me on that because there are some that are not auto-scalable, they will only charge you when you're using that database. So you can have your database finished and then work on the marketing and not be wasting money, basically. So that's a perk I see. Um, but that's not why I make my decision for AWS. Uh, I mean, if anybody's interested in that, I can totally make an episode on that. But um, like I said, that's that's sort of the environment of the databases. But back to the original point is... Uh, because of the reliability, um, AWS is very reliable, by the way, uh, but in the sense of relational versus non-relational, I definitely am slightly re- leaning off of relational. But when it comes to having users, the hard part is when those users have data. Because if you allow users to interact with one another, one another that data needs to be relatable in the sense of, like, let's say I give a a valentine's day card to each one of my friends and that's a uh, a pink bunny on the valentine's day card if it's a relational database i can you know i can have my valentine's day card registered to my username and i'm giving each of you a reference so you can look it up under my database but if it's a non-relational i have to give each of you a hard copy of that Valentine's Day card, which is a lot more data. It takes a lot more time to transfer it over the internet. It takes a lot more uh, capacity through input, output of my database. So that's where the relational does benefit because the relational allows you to make that tag or that reference point for one piece of data that's going to be spread across multiple pieces of data and used in some sort of relationship. So I almost want a relational database for my users, but non-relational for my transaction data. But that is getting down the line of having multiple databases for one big website product service thing. And, you know, I've heard and this is something that I have to look up. I've heard to, that that's a bad idea um, because I don't know why. Again, that's something I have to research, but I, I've just, I've 
heard that either you go no sequel or sequel relational non-relational and you tend to not mix um so if i could figure out a way to pretty much combine both that would be perfect and then each section of the pro- the service or the application just accesses different databases um which actually would help for building a mobile experience and that's also something I want I was thinking about um, I was just gonna say something I wanted to talk to you about but you aren't anybody so that's funny um, so I was reading something uh, online basically one of the perks to having uh, some of your data not hosted in the same environment as the actual website is the fact that you can um, access that database from let's say a mobile app or something and so you can create a native mobile app experience for a website and have the same data across both that is um, uh, I don't know there's a term for it but it's valid basically like it they both have the same data whatever uh, but what was I saying <laughs> um I don't remember what the what I was saying. Oh, uh, it was about the mobile app. So if you have your your native mobile app experience, the perk to having your separate database or a couple separate databases for each set of features is that when you make a a mobile app or whatever, you can have a better experience, and the mobile app will also be fast regardless if there's a ton of requests coming from the web version. Uh, kind of keeping this consistent. Uh, speed of your application no matter if you're on mobile or web um, which I think is a huge perk Um, but yeah so that's those are some some big things to think about but you know when it comes to databases and you're thinking about which one do I want to use because it's going to make the mobile app production easier blah 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 you know that's where I read that some and I don't know if it's some or most, and that's also something I have to research. And I, 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 I'll have answers for you guys um, next episode because everything that I question, I'm going to find answers uh, for. But the idea is to give you your own set of questions. But I was reading somewhere that uh, maybe it's adults, maybe it's everybody. People prefer a, a nice mobile website versus a native application. Meaning if Facebook had a mobile app and then also had, you know, uh, you could go to facebook.com on your iPhone and that Safari was the same thing as the app, but because there's a way you can do that. Uh, Safari is basically showing the app, but it's just recognizing that you're on a phone. I was reading that people prefer that versus downloading the actual um, app off the app store, which I thought was interesting. So that's definitely something I'm going to look into because um, that would actually be a totally separate way to build it. Um, because if you wanted to have a really nice native mobile app experience, you would want to have most of this data in a separate database for each type of feature you're trying to access. But if you only want a native, or sorry, not native, if you only want a, a mobile web version because you don't like mobile apps, that makes it easier for me because all I have to do is detect your screen size and then if you're on some sort of mobile device 
I can just scale down in the sense of I can provide you the same experience without you having to download anything. So it actually makes my life a lot easier, but I thought that was uh, something interesting to read. So I'm going to look into that because it takes a lot of work to build a mobile app, um, especially to you know comply with all these rules and always just be updating everything. It's annoying. Don't tell anybody. But anyway, like I said, that would make it super easy. So um, that'd be kind of nice to figure that one out. So, uh, yeah, like, like I said, that's my kind of dilemma right now is uh, choosing my databases and choosing my stack. I already have, you know, my front end chosen. I already have my back end chosen. I'm sticking with AWS for my cloud services. Um, and then one of the big costs of my project, like I said, is the development cost. But that's able to be done by me. So it's a lot cheaper than hiring somebody. Um, but, yeah, um, I guess for next time, uh, those are the uh, kind of questions I'm going to be answering and asking is, what is the best payment processor? And I don't even know if I can tell you that, like what I am recommending. That's a good question. I guess I got a third something I got to look up is how much of this can I even say? Um, basically, is you know, payment processors, it's coming with the whole technology stack and the reason is, especially with software, is I. it's hard to come up with a, it's easier to come up with cost regardless of the stack, but I can't exactly say how much time something's going to take me because I don't know what stack I'm using because each technology, some are more complex than others, but can do similar things. So coming up with uh, your technology stack in the sense of, what front end you're going to use or front end framework or what your server is going to be built off of or what cloud data, uh, cloud environment or ecosystem you're going to use to host all this stuff and run your services. Um, for, for my project, at least I, those are all things I need to figure out before I make my list, but, um, I have a good idea. And so, um, that's why the first half is talking about making your list. And so I'm going to have not only answers to some of those questions I was asking earlier uh, for next time, but uh, I will also just have the stack chosen and then my estimate for the list of to do's and stuff like that will be um, completed next time. And then I'll go over that in the beginning um so yeah if you hopefully you liked this uh little technical discussion i didn't go too into detail um because uh like i said i well, i gotta get used to how technical you guys want me to go and then also um i'm getting better at the flow of this podcast because i'll be honest i didn't have a structured template last time but I had bullet points this time and it definitely helped but I think uh, I need more details and stuff so I'll, I'll get better but and then I'll also figure out what um, you guys are interested in hearing but I, I think the database and the software structure setup and choosing your stack is some of the more 
boring. I mean, it's fun for me because I'm an engineer and I, that's, I'm a nerd and I love that stuff. But, 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 um, like I said, I know that can be some of the more boring stuff and you're, you probably just want to hear me build with whatever I'm building with as opposed to choosing it. So I'm going to keep this short and concise. Um, but I, like I said, those are the couple things that I'm choosing is database, uh, payment processor. I'm pretty sure I'm sticking with, uh, react for my front end. If anybody wants to look that up or knows of it, um, it's a JavaScript framework. Uh, yeah. And then, um, uh, let's see. I'm going to create an email address, uh, basically where you can send me, uh, like things that you want me to discuss or questions you have that maybe you want me to bring up. Um, and I'm going to create that. Um, I'll probably add an edit with what the email is cause I don't want to say what it is before I make it and then it not be available. Um, so after this, uh, I will add the edit of that information. But other than that, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget your homework. And I wish you all a wonderful weekend. For questions and suggestions, send an email to buckleuppodcastteam at gmail.com. Yeah!